0: If you have your Bible this morning, we're gonna be in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Matthew chapter 11, we're gonna look at verses 28 to 30. On occasion, I think it's good for us to take a break from our study through the book of Philippians, and I thought this was an appropriate time Uh, To do this, we had just finished chapter 1, though not consecutively. We've spent about 12 weeks looking in Philippians chapter 1 together, and thought it was just a good opportunity for us to step away from that for a moment and to look at a more evangelistic message. As we're going to look here in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 to 30, where Jesus is going to be calling sinners to salvation. Where he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But as we are, consider these words that our Savior issued here, I first and foremost always want you to consider them for your own heart, your own life, Your own standing with God. Have you answered the call that Jesus has issued here? Have you come to Christ? Have you responded rightly as Jesus will say here? But secondly, as we think about the message we're going to be addressing today, as we think about Jesus' call here to salvation, I hope this will be helpful for you even as a believer. As we have been thinking and praying and considering over the last several weeks together, a passion for those who are in need of Christ, and so a desire to go out and to share the gospel and to proclaim the gospel to others or to hand out a a tract, a gospel tract that presents the gospel to them and their need of Jesus, their need of Christ. That as you have those opportunities, hopefully even what we'll talk about here today will help you in how to do that and even help you in calling them to Christ, calling them to salvation. Because though there are some differences in some of the ways in which Jesus would speak to people and call people to salvation. There are really some consistent principles that we can observe here in this text as we look here at verses 28 through 30 here in Matthew 11. And when you're thinking about the call to salvation, one of the first things I want you to see from this is that when you're calling someone to, to salvation, you are calling them to Jesus. You're calling them to a person. You're calling them to Christ. Think about some of the other invitations that Jesus gave in the Bible. He would, came to Levi and he said, follow me. On other occasions, he said you needed to believe in me. He told a rich young ruler you needed to go and sell all that you had and then come back and follow me. Christ often was telling people and calling them to salvation, he was calling them to himself. Here you see it clearly when he says, come to me. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. He was telling this crowd and all who were gathered there on this day before him that they needed to come to him. And if you stop and you think about that, that is a bold statement that he is saying. Because he is telling them that the answers to their problems of what it is they were struggling with that we're gonna talk about here in a moment, he was saying, I'm the answer. You need to come to me. Come personally to me. So the call to salvation is to Christ. It's not to a preacher. It's not to a church. It's not to a certain location. The call is to Christ. And again, that tells us, beloved, as we're calling people to salvation, that this call narrows down to one person. It is exclusive. There is no other way to have salvation. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If somebody wants to get to heaven, if somebody wants to have a relationship with God, they have to come through Christ alone. And the reason why that is that Jesus could say this, that no one else could say this. I could never stand before you or stand before anyone else in any other crowd or be talking to someone personally and ever say, you need to come to me. Because there's something about Jesus that is not true about any other person and that is Jesus was God and he is God in the flesh. God is the Savior of mankind. As we're told over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 19, it tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You see, that's why Jesus could say, Come to me, because God was in Him. In that sense, God was in him reconciling the world as we're gonna see through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. It is Jesus who took our sin debt and nailed it to the cross. It is Jesus, the one who can cancel our sin debt with God. No one else can do this. This is why it is only through Christ So when we're issuing the call to salvation, that call goes forward, and the call is for that person to come to Christ. They're looking to Christ, they're trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. But there's a second principle I want you to see here, and a call to salvation that Jesus issues here. The call wasn't just to him, But a second aspect of it is this. The call to salvation is a command. It's a command. Notice he said, come to me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Those are all in the imperative. Those are all commands by our Lord and our Savior. Go back to the examples I gave a moment ago where Jesus said to Levi, follow me. He said on other occasions, believe in me. He told that rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have and come follow me. Those were never suggestions. Those really weren't even Uh, asking in the sense of an invitation to them. Those were commands. Jesus was giving them commands. The gospel, in the gospel, there is a command to salvation. There is a command, a call. That call is a command. It is an authoritative call that requires a response. As Paul says over in 2 Thessalonians, In chapter one, there in verse eight, speaking about the future and the wrath of God that is to come, he said that the Lord Jesus will be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and listen carefully to this, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Obey. Obey there, obedience is the obedience to come to Christ. The obedience is to to come to Him and to Him alone. Why is this? It is because Jesus is God. You see, unlike sometimes invitations that are there in the counsel that is given where we're, we're almost like a suggestion of letting God invade the life. No, beloved, when, when we're issuing the call, the call is you need to cry out to God. You need to cry out to God, oh God, invade my life. Please, I'm begging you, cleanse me, as we're gonna see. Make me right with you. Because the call is to come to Christ. Whenever the Philippian jailer came running up to the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? He gave him a command, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why there is a command that is given is because it is the sovereign God of the universe who sustains this world, who sustains your very life, that is speaking and saying in the call to salvation, obey me. He's saying, obey me, when he says, come to me, follow me, believe in me. And that even helps us to understand why it is just in this retribution that Paul spoke about there in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1 that we just read a moment ago, that there's going to be just retribution to those who do not obey the gospel. Because it is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign creator of this world that has spoken and he has said, not by suggestion, but by command, obey me, by coming to me. And, brother, we understand this. Think about in the world in which we live. I mean, as a parent, when we, when we tell our children to do something, it's not a suggestion, It's not, well, we we hope that you will do this. No, if we say, you need to clean your room, you need to take the garbage out, you need to do something, I'm commanding you to do this. And if they don't do it, we don't say, man, I really wish they would have done that. No. We look at that as defiance. We look at that as rebellion. Same thing if you think about a judge And a judge and someone standing in their courtroom and the judge issues a judgment and the person says, well, I might follow it and I might not. Well, the judge looks at that as a defiance against the court, a defiance against who he is and what it is he has said. And that's the same thing that we're looking at here, beloved. When someone will not come to Christ, understand when that call is given to them and they do not respond in true repentance and faith in coming to Christ, they are in defiance of God. They are defying the sovereign Lord of this world, the sovereign Lord of this universe. They are defying Him in His face, and they're defying Him in His holiness, and they're even walking in defiance to His love. This is where God is even displaying His love in the cross of calling them to Christ. So understand as we're... When we're dealing with someone and we're talking to them about salvation, they need to understand the seriousness of the call that you are calling them in the sense you're saying, look, God is commanding you, the very God who holds your life in his hands. The very God who holds your very breath in his hands. The very God who's sustaining your life at this very moment. The very God who created you. The very God who created you to live for him. You're here for him. And he's commanding you out of grace here, even offering this to you in this way, he's commanding you to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when they say, I don't want to do that, They understand I am defying God. I am going against God. But also if you think about that too, if someone hears the gospel and they may say, they may not say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to come to Christ. Maybe their response may be, well, I'm just not ready to do that. I just don't want to do it right now. I would rather wait and maybe try to do it a little later in life. Well, understand, that answer is just as much in defiance of God as the other. I mean, again, just to go back as a parent, you ask your ch- tell your kid to do something, and they say, well, you know, right now, I just really don't want to do it. I know you told me to go to bed, but I just don't really want to go to bed. I'll go to bed whenever I feel like going to bed. Well, we would look at that as defiance. And that's the way we have to see it in this regard to the gospel. That as we're calling folks to salvation, they need to understand the seriousness of it. You speak it in love to them, but they need to see that the call to salvation is a call to Christ, and it's a command of Christ. But now notice something else, if you will go back. That the call to salvation is, needs to be preceded by the gospel. The call to salvation needs to be preceded by the gospel. And by that, I mean this. There needs to be an understanding of their sin and an understanding of Jesus as the Savior. That is, before we're calling them to salvation, there has to be the law of God, and then there's the grace of God. They have to have both of these that are there. You say, well, where are you getting that from? Well, go back to verse 28. When Jesus is saying, come to me, notice who he's speaking to. He's saying to all, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, you will find rest for your souls if you're willing to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, the all there does mean all. Anyone, everywhere. There there aren't any racial barriers to it. There aren't any gender barriers to it. There aren't any economic barriers to this call. There aren't any social barriers to this call. All. All call to salvation. There aren't any external barriers. But there is a barrier in this sense. This call is going to those who are broken over their sins those who have heard the law and heard the grace of God. You think about what it says over in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, it's a passage that no doubt, I believe Jesus even would have had in mind here when speaking uh, to this crowd, this Jewish crowd that was around him in Isaiah 55, where he's talking about come, come unto me, come to the Lord. And the ones he's saying, come to me, he's saying, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, those who are poor. And that wasn't talking about physical thirst or physical hunger or being physically or financially poor. It was talking about those who recognize, I am spiritually in a drought, I am spiritually starving, I am spiritually broke. And he's saying, look, you don't have anything to offer. You don't have any food, you don't have any money, you don't have anything that is there. And the Lord there in Isaiah 55 is saying, just come to me, I have it all. You come, come to me, but it has to be that person who is broken over their sin. Notice what Jesus is saying, all who are weary. That is those who are spiritually exhausted spiritually exhausted, weary over their sin, those who are heavy laden, those who are just weighed down by their guilt, by their shame, by their sin. See, this comes from the work of the law, the law of God. The law of God that reveals the very character of God, that reveals the standard of God. The person must see their life in light of who God is and what God has said and how we're supposed to live our life and to see my life doesn't measure up. It doesn't even come close. I'm guilty before God. I am a lawbreaker and God is just in his declaring me guilty. You see, beloved, this is what was missing in the life of the rich young ruler. In fact, if you will, for a moment, go over to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 18. Go to Luke chapter 18. This is the most interesting encounter where a man comes running up to Jesus asking the question about eternal life. In Luke 18... In verse 18, a ruler questioned him, that is, questioned Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice what Jesus does with this man. Because the missing element in this man in his pursuit of eternal life was he was not really broken over his sin. He did not really see himself as the sinner he really was in the sight of God. And Jesus first addresses this with him in verse 19 when he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's a powerful statement. In that statement, when Jesus says, no one is good except God alone, there are two implications to that statement. The first one is, if you're calling me good, are you willing to acknowledge me as God? If God alone is good and you're calling me the good teacher, are you really acknowledging me as God? But the second thing by implication he was telling this, this ruler that came to him is, if God alone is good, then guess what? You're not good. You are not good. But see, he didn't see that. And Jesus knew that. That's why he brings the law to bear upon him. And he says in verse 20, You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. His response is, all these things I've kept from my youth. I've always done this. But this is a man that has not truly come to understand the law of God. He was not broken over his sin. He did not see himself as the sinner that he was. So Jesus went after his idolatry and his coveting when he says, Well, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you should have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. You see, when he heard this, he was sad. There was a sorrow there because he was extremely rich. It wasn't a godly sorrow, it was a worldly sorrow. A godly sorrow would lead to true repentance. Jesus had brought the law of God to bear upon his heart, upon his life and where he stood. But yet he was not truly weary and heavy laden, even though he had heard that. He had a worldly sorrow. This is what this man needed to come to see. He needed to see his life didn't measure up. He needed to see that his heart was far from God and he truly needed to repent. Look also, if you will, for a moment, just stay there in, the, in Luke chapter 18. Go up to verse 9, where here Jesus tells a parable that gives us a perfect illustration of this between a Pharisee and a publican, a tax collector, a sinner. Notice. In verse 9, he told also this parable to some people who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. See, these are people who are not broken. They're not heavy laden. They're not uh, exhausted and weary over their sin. They are self-righteous. They viewed others with contempt. And Jesus says there are two men who went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Now notice what the Pharisee is saying in the story the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice the difference there. The Pharisee compared himself to other people. And when we do that, we tend to pick out people that we see as worse than us. And so he didn't have a godly sorrow over his sin. And if you struggle with that, beloved, or if someone you're talking to struggles with that, and they struggle to see their life as it should be, and they wanna say, look, I know I do some bad things in my life, but I'm a pretty good guy, or I'm a pretty good girl, I'm a pretty good man, I'm a pretty good woman. And they may say, look, I'm not out doing certain things. But what you have to bring them back to is say, that may be so. But you don't need to compare yourself to me, and you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. There's only one person you need to compare yourself to, and that is to Jesus. Compare yourself to God. Compare yourself to Jesus. Jesus knew no sin." Jesus never committed a sin in his heart. He never committed a sin in his thoughts. He never committed a sin in his actions and how he handled things and how he said things and how he did things. He is the one you must compare yourself to. Now, how do you measure up? You see, the tax collector here was broken over his sin. He knew that his only hope was the mercy of God. He knew that he justly deserved God's judgment and God's wrath because he was a sinner. You think about the ministry of Jesus, who is it that more responded to him in a favorable way? Was it the Pharisees and the religious crowd? Or was it the tax collectors, the sinners, those that were seen as the outcasts of their society? It was the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. You say, why is that? It's because they knew they were sinners. You say, well, how did they know that? Well, they knew that because the synagogue where they had opportunity to worship had told them that and treated them that way, as sinners. Society told them that as well. You see, they knew. They knew that they were sinners. But see, the bad thing was that coming from the synagogues of that day, which would be the church of our day, is that they were also being told, there was no hope for you, there's no offer of grace for you, you're beyond hope, beyond grace, you're beyond any opportunity of having a relationship with God. And Jesus comes along, and Jesus didn't just walk over their sin. Jesus confronted them about their sin, and He called them to repentance. But when he did confront them about their sin, he also told them and commanded them, if you will repent and if you will come to me, you will be received. You will be received by God. You will be forgiven of all your sins. You will be reconciled to God. You will have a right standing and relationship with God. You will be accepted by God. You see, beloved, what a person, when we think about what Jesus is saying over in the Ma- over in the gospel of Matthew when he says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and notice what he says and i will give you rest this is someone whose heart has been awakened they have been awakened to their sin that is they've been awakened to even some specific sins in their life but not just that they've been awakened to the reality of just their sinfulness They are just sinful down to the very core. And that's why they're now seeking. Think about it. They're seeking out some rest. Rest for what? Rest for their soul because their soul is agitated. Their soul has been awakened and made alive to their sin. And they realize, oh, I look at the specific sins in my life and I look at the very sinfulness of my heart and who I am and I look at the fact that that means I'm separated from a holy God and I have no hope and I'm looking for hope, I'm looking for somehow, some way, something that can deal with my sin, deal with my sinfulness, deal with my separation from God. Where is it? Where is it? And Jesus says, it's me. Come to me. And if you come to me, you will find that rest. That is, you will find the rest for your soul about your sinfulness and about your sins and about your separation from God. It's in Christ. And that's where, yes, we have the law, but here now comes the grace. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. Come to me, Jesus says, because of who I am. Come to me because of what it is I'm going to do and what he did in going to the cross to pay for the sins of sinners. To offer up his life as the one who was without sin to become sin, to take our sin and our sins upon himself and God pouring out his wrath upon him so that we could have forgiveness. We could have the righteousness of God given to us. Beloved, this is, this is what must go before. They must see the law because they, they need to see their sin, their sinfulness, and their separation from God. And that comes from the law. And then they see the grace of God, what God did, what God did for them. But now notice something else. Let's go back. And in Matthew 11. this call what is the substance of this call what is the substance of this command and this is important this is critical that what you're now you've talked to this person and they're feeling the weight of their sin they're feeling that they're weary they're weighed down they know they're a sinner. They know the very depths of who they are. They're just a sinner. They see some of the specific sins in their life. They see they're separated from God. And now they're wanting to know, okay, I see Jesus. I see what Jesus has done. Okay, how, how, how can I somehow have what Jesus has done given to me? How can I have that come to me? How can I have now the forgiveness of my sins? How is it I can have rest for my soul? This is critical here. That what you're calling them to do, you're calling them to believe upon Christ. You're calling them to believe and to bow, or to repent and believe. And this is what Jesus is saying here in verse 28, when he says, come to me. If you were to look over in the Gospel of John. When he says, come to me, listen to this over in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 6 and verse 35, it says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. That verse is written in such a way and spoken by Jesus in such a way that coming to Jesus is the same thing as believing in Jesus. So when Jesus says over here in Matthew 11, come to me, he is saying, believe in me. But this is critical here because there can't be any extra steps. There's no other extra steps that have to take place. Somebody doesn't have to be baptized in order to be forgiven of their sins. They don't have to become a part of the church to be forgiven of their sins. They don't have to do the sacraments or anything like that for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus has said, if you want to have rest and you want to find rest for your soul, Come to me and learn from me. That is, believe in me and just bow to me. Just come and repent of your sins and put your faith in me. Surrender to me. Just come believing in what you have heard, that yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you have your sins. Yes, you're separated from God. But believe in the goodness and the grace of God. Believe in the message of the cross. Believe in what Jesus has done and put your trust in him. You can't find salvation in anyone else, any other place. But notice, it's not just some intellectual agreement. It is a bowing. You're believing and bowing to the Lordship of Christ because he says also in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. By the idea of the yoke, just think about it like this. You come And you put your neck under the yoke of Jesus. And you say, just teach me, Jesus. You're my Lord. You're my master. You're my Savior. I just want to learn from you. I just want to live for you. I just want to trust you with my life. And notice what Jesus says. He says, I'm gentle. And I'm humble in heart. You see, when somebody comes and bows to Jesus, surrendering to his lordship, As he teaches you, as you submit to him, he is gentle and humble. That is his demeanor with you. He's not some hard taskmaster. He's not this overbearing tyrant. He's a loving, gentle Savior and Lord. That yes, at times he will correct you. At times he will have to rebuke you. At times he will have to discipline you. But he does all of that out of love. He does all of that out of gentleness and care for your soul and for your life. You see, everybody has a master. Either sin is your master or the Savior is your master. And notice he says... My yoke is easy my burden is light that and and understand that that if you come and bow to Jesus believing upon him as your savior and lord bowing to his lordship understand that yes you're going to be now living according to the word of God and the commands of God and what you see in the word of God but he says look my yoke is easy my burden's light why is that he says because i'm going to give you a heart that will be able and willing to do it. And I'm going to give you a helper, the Spirit of God, who's going to come and live inside of you. You will be able to do this by my grace. I'm not asking you to come and surrender to me and start working for me to somehow try to make it and work for your salvation. No, I'm saying if you come and bow and believe in me, I will give you salvation. And from that salvation, you will live for me. have a love for me. So let me ask you this morning, have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ broken of your sin, believing in Him, bowing to Him? Have you ever seen your need to do this? Oh, beloved, remember what we're saying here. Just think about it in this way. God is your creator. He is the sustainer of your life. Thus, he owns you. You are here for him. Your life is for him. He has claim to your life. He has claim to my life. And he's holy and perfect and right, righteous and just. But also, think about your own life. Think about who you are. You are a sinner by nature. That is because of the sin of Adam, our forefather. We all are sinners by nature. That is, we all have a natural bent away from God. That's what we mean by our sinfulness. We're just all naturally sinners. But you're not just a sinner by nature, you're a sinner by choice. You choose to deliberately disobey God. You choose to sin against God. You choose to defy God. No one is spared this reality. This is the condition of all of us. So just think, that's your sinfulness. But just think about your sins. Okay, just to get a little specific about your sins this morning. The Bible says that you're, you are to, to not lie. Thou shall not lie. Have you ever lied? Have you ever told a half-truth instead of a whole truth? Well, that means you're a liar. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Maybe it was from a sibling. Maybe you took some time at work that wasn't really yours and you used it for yourself instead of for the one that you're working for. If you've ever taken something from someone in any way, the Bible says you're a thief. Have you ever, the Bible says that we are not to commit adultery. Have you ever lusted after someone in your heart? If so, the Bible says you are guilty as an adulterer. The Bible says that thou shalt not murder. But the Bible also says that if you have true sinful anger in your heart towards someone, that you are guilty of murder. The Bible says that we are not to put any other gods before the one true and living God. So I ask you this morning, have you ever put other things before God in your life? Have you ever even dismissed some of what the Bible has to say about God? Do you have a desire to live by your own understanding of who God is? You see, beloved, if we were probably all honest here and not like the rich young ruler, every single one of us would have to admit we are guilty of every one of those specific sins, which means we're all here today, including myself, on our own and in our own life and our own strength and our own standing before God, we are guilty, idolaters, adulterers, murderers, thieving, liars, And you say, well, I'm still holding out. I'm just, well, let Jesus sum it up for you. Jesus summed up the law in this way. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Every day, every moment of the day, everything you do, you do it out of a love for God. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is, don't ever do anything in your life whatsoever for a selfish reason. You always do it for others. And the charge is guilty. We're all guilty before God. and Beloved, we need to recognize this as an offense to God, a holy God. And the result of this is, yes, our sinfulness and our sins. And the result is I'm separated from God. I'm alienated from God. I'm under the just wrath and condemnation of God. God does not accept me. God does not receive me. Now, as you hear that this morning, let me ask you, how does your heart respond to that? Does it respond with some hostility, with some indignation towards that? Or does it respond with some humility of saying, I see it. I see my sinfulness. I see my sins. I see that I'm separated from God. Well, If so, beloved, then your heart needs to be crying as David's heart was crying in Psalm 51 where he was crying out for God's grace, God's compassion, God's mercy. Saying, oh God, would you please invade my life, make me clean, cleanse me, wash me, give me a new heart, give me a new life. God, I I need you. I am a sinner down to the very depths of who I am. And I have committed sin and sin against you. My life is in rebellion against you. Beloved, if that is your heart cry this morning. And you're recognizing that in your heart. You're recognizing that in your life. Here's the grace of God. Here's the good news. Jesus, the Son of God, who's always been the Son of God, the Son of God, a part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became the Son of Man. And he became the Son of Man so that he could live the life that we need to live, but we can't live. He lived a life without sin. And he goes to the cross, where on that cross, he gives his life for the sins of sinners. He gives his life for sinners like you and like me. And he died on that cross, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And then he ascended back to heaven. And right now, this Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he's promised that one day he will return. And when he returns, he's going to return to issue judgment, to deal out that retribution. And he's going to deal it out, retribution towards those who have never obeyed the gospel, who've never truly bowed and believed in Christ. But beloved, oh, this morning, the grace and the goodness of God is, is that if you will bow and if you will believe... Guess what? His righteousness, that life he lived, he came down here to live, it's given to you. And that death he died on that cross where he's paying for our sins, it's given to you. And because it's all given to you by the grace of God, just by bowing and believing in Christ, you now have life eternal, and you now have a relationship with God, and you now have a new heart to deal with your sins and your sinfulness. You now also have the hope of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you have the promise of life eternal with God of nothing ever being able to separate you from God again. It's all through Christ. So the call I issued to you this morning is commanded by God to believe upon Christ, repent of your sins, put your faith in him, bow to him, surrendering to him as Lord, setting no limits on his claim to your life. You set no limits. And just say, I'll trust you. I will walk with you. I will follow you no matter what. Oh, it may be costly, but I will follow you. I won't rest for my soul. And there's no other place I'm going to find it. My soul is in torment over my sin, over my standing with you. Oh, Jesus, give me rest. And put your faith in him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment.